1: Hello, welcome back. Do did we, did we miss any? Do we miss anything? Has anyone resigned? <laughs> Is it fixed yet? Um, before we start again, we're going to have another couple of Brexmas presents. Uh, Roz, it's your turn. Fantastic. Fantastic. And uh, I will... Know,
2: it gave me an electric shock. How did it do that? <laughs> that is amazing. Sorry, Can I work a, that
1: into it? It's a very dangerous GIF. My God! <laughs> it hasn't passed EU safety checks. Is. is that?
2: <laughs> did you actually see me jump? Because I did. I like, <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay best comrades Trump and Putin magnetic finger puppets at.
3: <laughs>
2: yeah, I, I'm just putting on the expression I would get if this, this, this came out under the tree. Um, yeah.
1: Ros, your question, exactly from, from your uh, findings, how much did Russians interfere in the referendum and, and did it make all that much difference to the result? Oh,
2: I haven't... I can't answer that question, but I will try. The reason I can't answer that question is because nobody knows. Nobody knows how much, what an effect social media advertising has on people's voting intentions. Because we're in in uncharted water. You know, no one really knows what effect... Tony Blair demonized had on people's voting intentions and we sure as hell don't know what effect seeing lots and lots of vote leave and uh, eve.eu things on their Facebook uh, did to people what I will say is that people say uh, Brexiteers sometimes say you know I hear Vladimir Putin didn't tell me how to vote I cast my own vote yeah of course you did yeah absolutely you did but in a globalized world it ain't that simple Because Vladimir Putin can pay for advertisements that appear in your very personal social media feed feed alongside your friend's stuff, and that is what makes the difference. And that didn't happen five years ago, and it didn't happen ten years ago. Now, I couldn't possibly confirm to you whether or not the £8 million that Aaron Banks had in an account (laughs) and spent on leave EU advertising and believe advertising. I can't confirm to you where that came from because none of us know where it came from. We've, we've tried really hard and you know, the DCMS committee has tried really hard and we don't, have a, we don't have a clue where that money came from because it doesn't seem to have come from his businesses despite his assertions that his cash flow was brilliant. It wasn't really. Um, and... Where did that money come from? Um, That is something that I can't speculate on, possibly without uh, libeling someone. So I won't. But I can say that it was definitely in Vladimir Putin's interest that we leave the EU. Um, He wants to undermine the EU. And the other thing I would say, which doesn't often get said in the context of um, Russian interference in the referendum... And some people may not like to hear, but I think it was an influence. Was whether was the effect of Labour not cam- not wholeheartedly campaigning for Remain? Because we know Jeremy Corbyn campaigned for Remain, but it was I think someone put it to me on a seven out of ten level. In terms of conviction. And we know from a speech he made only last week at the European uh, Social Forum, I think, that he doesn't think that the EU enables him to pursue these policies he wants. Now, I'm not going to say either that there is a hotline from Seamus Milne, Jeremy Corbyn's chief head. I used to work with Seamus. I couldn't possibly say that. I'd be too terrified. Uh, Sometimes I have nightmares that Seamus is there hovering over my shoulder going... You don't, you're not going to run that piece about Venezuela, are you? <laughs> so <laughs> I couldn't possibly say that. But um, I do think that there is an attitude in the Labour Party that, uh, at that level that Vladimir Putin's regime is not perhaps as bad a thing as it's always made out to be. And I think that may have fed into the decision to uh, really not go hard on campaigning for a Remain. So that's my two part answer.
1: Thanks, Roz. And there's another one in It's Your Lucky Day.
0: If it's not a comic, I I don't really want it, to be honest. Might
1: be an action figure. Yeah, Marvel, I was going
3: to say. Marvel action figure.
1: (laughs) (laughs) (coughs) Your question. Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> is what's the most important thing on international trade, your favourite subject in the whole wide world, <laughs> that, that everyone is not talking about? What's, th- what's the deep cut of the international
0: trade Oh yeah, world? deep cut. There's a... Oh wait, it's got wheels. <laughs> um, it's got wheels. <laughs> so I might just sit on the floor and play with it as I, as I explain. Uh, deep cut. There's a very obscure part of trade which is called services. Uh, LAUGHTER how do you
1: spell
0: that? <laughs> yeah. So no one, nobody wants to talk about that. Um, which is odd, really, because we're a services economy. So you would have thought that it would figure quite prominently in what the British Prime Minister was trying to achieve in the most important trade arrangement we've ever done. Uh, but not so much. We focused on goods. And I think that's sort of because... With the sort of the, the services are very wibbly-wobbly. So, you know, on a good... You know, it moves from one place to another, it crosses a border, there is a place to check it. If you as a country pass a law going, we don't want this kind of chemical in goods, you can just stop the goods and check that they're that, services are much harder, right? Like, If you start saying that we're, you know, we don't really trust the way the Honduras, uh, what their um, what the qualifications are for becoming a doctor, you're not gonna, your classic thing as a government is just to not recognise those qualifications because you don't want a bunch of Honduran people coming over and going, I'm a doctor now when you haven't vouchsafed on that. But services tend to go either way. Like a service export includes when people go over to your country. If you go over to France and, get, uh, and your child gets sort of maths instructions to pass an exam, maths tu- tuition, that would be a services export from France. So it's a, it's a real sort of mess of stuff, and people don't really get it, so they don't really talk about it. But they fucking should. Because if we, as we expect right now, leave the EU and do a, basically a sort of a classic-looking FTA, the sort of thing that, I, that like the EU is doing currently with Japan... We would be at about what you'd get on WTO, really, for services, and that would involve a fifty-nine percent, technically, reduction in our service exports to the EU. Now, this is a major fucking reduction. You do not want that to take place, but it is not discussed because it's complex, it's weird, and partly because there's been a very successful campaign. This, by the way, is exactly what I'm going to do while I'm opening presents on Christmas Day. This is the whole spiel, <laughs> exactly. My uncle. I be bet they be the thinking, "Wish we had given him in the boat now." <laughs> So they've they've actually been weirdly quite successful with this this really quite insanely vacuous uh, Patrick Minford argument, which is basically to say the single market's been very bad for services or not very effective at services. The single market has been the most effective sharing of regulation on services in the history of mankind. The fact that it hasn't completed the project is simply a sign of how politically difficult it is to do services. But there's nothing anywhere else in the world, anything like how the single market operates. And so much so, in fact, that services across countries in the single market are very often flow much, much easier than they do, for instance, between states in the US. So it's actually been profoundly effective. It's been incredibly helpful for the British economy. It's turned us into leaders in financial services, leaders in aviation, uh, leaders arguably in, in sort of telecommunications, and nobody says a fucking word about it. And that alone is so utterly insane that it would be considered on its own terms enough argument to just go, you have all completely lost the plot.
1: Thank you. So a few weeks ago, I read a very spurious piece seriously suggesting that Britpop paved the way for Brexit with its mockney accents, rousing choruses and Union Jack guitars. So I tweeted a few kind of jokey suggestions of my own just to, to pass the time and, and had Robson and Jerome's version of the White Cliffs of Dover Allo <laughs> Allo, Fat Les, Nick Berry's Sunday evening rural police drama Heartbeat, <laughs> The Wicker Man and the On the Buses cinematic universe <laughs> Now some people thought that I was being serious including a former cast member of Allo Allo but many more people chipped in with their own suggestions. I'll, I'll be reading out the best in a minute. But first, I want to ask the panelists what cultural artefacts they would put in the proto-Brexit canon of shame. Uh, Ingrid, would you like to start?
3: Um, so, so basically, so these are things that we blame people having people for voting
1: Brexit on. Sem- semi, semi seriously. Semi seriously.
3: Um, okay, I will go. I will go Euro '96. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I would go Euro 96, I, basically because uh, we thought we were doing all right, we were doing all right, we, and then we got confidence back, and then it was completely decimated. And it's when we sort of think we're doing quite well, and then and then we get humiliated by, by Europeans. Uh, I think that's where it stems from. So I'm going to go yeah. Euro 96. My boyfriend's in, he'll be really, really angry with me about that.
1: <laughs> uh, Roz?
2: Um, this one, I, I think it says, it says mugs, but it wasn't just mugs, it's spread. Um, yeah. the ones that say, keep calm and carry on. <laughs> I don't know when they started. <laughs> Did they start five years ago? Something like that? About Long that ago. time. Yeah. And it, they just kind of fostered. And then suddenly it was like, it was like uh, everything, you know, panic and carry on. Um. You know, shag someone and carry on. I don't know. It was just—it was—it was an endless listening and carry on. And I think this is what has got us into the—the—the the, the mindset that we have, where it's all going to be okay. It's not going to be okay. No deal is not going to be okay. Um, Brexit is not okay. And yet, somehow, it gave us this false sense of confidence that, that you know, in Britain, things are okay if we can just sit down and have a nice cup of tea.
1: But it. those posters were originally printed for use oh. in the event of a Nazi invasion of Britain.
2: Well, you um, see, so that would be the time to panic, in my people... view. <laughs> and, 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 That's, and I no, would not... not
1: then. I would no, not you've got want to be strategic. strategic.
2: I, would, I would be wanting to join the resistance if I had the guts then. I would not want to be carrying on uh, and, and getting involved in some kind of Vichy-style yeah. regime. I'm sorry <laughs> it's a, No. <laughs> well, that's good to know.
1: It's <laughs> really good to so know. Were they never actually it, used? Are they, no, they were never used. One was discovered in a junk shop like 10, 15 years ago, and then it oh. became a thing. Oh, wow. Um, well, there we go. It
0: was about Nazis. <laughs> um, Ian, what would yours be? <clears throat> yeah, it's, it's sort of in the same kind of line, I think, because the, the emotional <clears throat> effect is the same, and it's basically it's, it's Boris Johnson on Have I Got News For You? And... <laughs> And I think that I'm... And I totally hold myself up as a sort of an example of this, of this just being a terrible cock-up, like a terrible psychological cock-up. Because it didn't just do this thing of creating this monstrous political ego that has... That I, I think you can make the case that you know, that the, the result might have gone a different way. Certainly when you take him and Gove together. I think that there was no sort of ostensibly centre-right, mainstream Tory... Voices in that campaign, it would have looked very, very different. It would have been much easier to just go, this is just a Farage thing. Um, but it's deeper than that, I think, because it just sort of gave me, it, certainly me, and I think for a lot of other people, this sense of like, oh, British Tories, they're not actually that bad. You know, we disagree on, you know, fiscal issues, but actually they're perfectly reasonable and, you know, they can be quite funny and charming. And isn't there this sort of harmless, safe English? Aren't we just a big field ultimately? And isn't it quite a, And you're like, oh no, they're fucking psychopaths. <laughs> And, and, I mean, not, not just on Brexit, but, you know, on austerity. And it's, actually, it's actually been a really quite, really quite vigorously right-wing few year, eight years that we've had under these guys, since they came in. I mean, less bad under li- li- Lib Dems, because even though they don't get much credit for it, you know, in my relentlessly negative view of politics, stopping shit from getting worse figures very high up in my hierarchy of, <laughs> of, of accomplishments. And and I just think that, that Johnson, that caricature, that persona that he had, really lulled us into a false sense of security about how safe British conservatism ultimately was. And we fucking paid the price, man.
3: I would. Can I just actually, just on that, in fact, whatever is the opposite of Brexit canon, as in the thing that would have stopped it, I... I I bewail the lack of a spitting image uh, in these times. And I cannot understand why there is no satire in that vein. Because this is the most... We've never needed it more than we need it now. And to puncture both sides, to puncture the remains side and the leaves side, just so that equal treatment for everybody. So that we we can see that ridiculousness of what is happening. Um, But there is nothing, not really, out there... To do that, and if we had a spitting image, something like a spitting image, I I do think it would be incredibly important.
1: Mog is his own spitting image puppet, isn't he? Well, yeah, (laughs) yeah.
3: But that's the that's the problem. People people go Brexit is beyond satire, but it's not. It's really
1: not. Um, um, I'm going to choose smooth talking Irishmen, two two in particular. (laughs) Um, First, Terry Wogan presenting Eurovision making Europeans simultaneously look like foolish clowns and a sinister conspiracy plotting to rob Britain of its rightful prize. (laughs) The home of pop. Uh, Then, to make matters worse, Henry Kelly, presenter of Going for Gold, (laughs) in which befuddled British contestants were constantly outwitted in their native tongue by Klaus from Denmark, thus breeding resentment and insane desire for revenge. (laughs) And they, they did form my idea of Europeans, is that they were both kind of like, when I was, was younger, they're both sort of laughable but constantly beating us. <laughs> uh, and I'm just going to rattle through the, 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 the Twitter highlights. I think, it's a, I think it's a pretty watertight canon, to be honest. Uh, we have It's a Knockout, Top Gear, Clarkson Era, Classic FM, John Lydon advertising butter, Morrissey's solo career... <laughs> Brian May playing a guitar solo on the roof of Buckingham Palace. (laughs) The Italian Job. Del Boy falling through the bar. Carling Black Label. The 1980 sitcom Duty Free. The cancellation of Channel 4's Eurotrash. The Jelly and Pork Pies. The Black Current Tango advert about Sebastian, the French exchange student. (laughs) Maureen from Driving School. (laughs) All Royal Weddings. Howard's Way. Good Night, Sweetheart, Saint and (laughs) Greavesy, Sunday Afternoon War Movies, Mumford and Sons, Mr. Blobby, (laughs) Potholes, Cupcakes, Bunting, and Brian Harvey from E17 running himself over with his own car. (laughs) So, well done, Twitter. It's not just a digital hellscape. Frankly, it's a miracle the result was as close as it was. Um, Okay, laughter's over now. And we're going to extract ourselves from the immediate nightmare of Brexit and project ourselves forward to 2019 and the future nightmare of Brexit. Specifically, what situations might arise and what should Romaniacs, like us in this room, do about them? I have three potential scenarios for 2019, and we're going to explore them in a blue-sky Steve Hilton, what if there were good Nazis, think about it, kind of way. (laughs) So... Let your brains flow freely. (laughs) Scenario one. May loses the meaningful vote sometime in December or January, then calls a general election and loses to Jeremy Corbyn. The twist is, Corbyn is in a minority government with the SNP. So you've got a Brexit-curious PM (laughs) propped up by partners who want to remain in the EU but leave the United Kingdom. (laughs) Which could be fun. Um, so, uh, stop, start, in. Corbyn has said he'd renegotiate Brexit. Uh, how, how doable is that? And because I watched, I'm not sure how many people saw the Channel 4 Brexit debate. Barry Gardner made a very strong case for Remain, I thought. <laughs> <laughs> because his plan for Brexit was basically remaining, but also leaving. <laughs> and I just wondered if you felt that there was a more coherent
0: strategy than that yeah so I mean if, if you are going to um, alter the future relationship document then yeah, you can do whatever you like you can stay as close or as far you know, as you like if you're going to alter the withdrawal document which is the divorce bit the legal bit then no, you, can't, you can't do anything that's, that's game over now and that's done and every time that you know, Corbyn gets up and goes and it's not just Corbyn all the rest of them say you know, all the IG lots say the same thing we're gonna go off, we'll get a much better deal, we'll just, you know, change the laws of gravity and then we'll come back and we'll be we'll do the quick vote and we'll be out in March. That's just nonsense. It's you know, complete nonsense. If and and, and the 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 narrative arc of Nick Bowles on the Tory benches will give you this instruction, I think. Because originally he was of that sort of mindset and now he's changed it to no, we understand we just need the divorce bit. He's going for Norway in his case, which I think would be what Corbyn would end up with in that kind of scenario. It's once we're out, then negotiations restart and then we will try to get to the point where we decide how that's going to go. If he's, if he's you know, in, in a coalition with Nicola Sturgeon, that's what he's going to have to go for. Because the SNP cannot afford to leave the single market. The basic reason that once you do that, the independence proposition becomes radically complicated. You need for Europe... And Britain to be working according to the same regulations in order to make a viable, easy route into independence. So they will make that a precondition of anything. And I think Corbyn's a little bit closer to it, you know, than most people on the Tory benches anyway. So if it's after March, if nothing changes and we still leave then, that is a perfectly doable, very respectable thing to say. If anyone is claiming that you can do this kind of stuff before March, they're full of shit.
1: Um Ingrid, Corbyn spent quite a lot of time saying that EU ne- neoliberalism was a source of our problems, in, including Brexit. Um, but Shami Chakrabarti insists there's a lot of love in the room for Jeremy in Brussels. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you think that, in that event, that he would actually end up doing much of that negotiating? Or would you, would you see that being, outs- you know, basically let Keir Outsourced, Starmer do yeah.
3: it? yeah. <laughs> Well, actually, I, I looked, you know, I, I, in my head I had this vision. Again, it shows when you, when you, the danger in all of this is you sort of have to put your own prejudices or your own preconceived notions of what thing people are and things are to, to one side. Because I assume that Corbyn, as we said earlier, was, was anti-EU and, and he knows fuck all about it. and He hasn't made, I must stop swearing, actually. Um, Why? There's a child. There's a Child in the front row for goodness oh, sake I'm so sorry um, um it's fine
0: <laughs>
3: is that allowed I thought we you're put like ter- an over 16 thing up <laughs> you're a terrible father um <laughs> no you're very she's got to learn she's got to learn um so I, I sort of assumed that Corbyn was was a bit useless on all of this, and then I, I looked it up um, in in time for tonight's show, and um, he'd actually gone to Brussels at the, at one point as as many times if more than Dominic Raab when Dominic Raab was Brexit secretary. So he, he has he has made that journey. He's gone to meet he's met Barnier quite a few times. Um, it's not that he's completely outsourced everything to Keir Starmer. Um but. I mean, I, I just remember watching the Labour Party conference and being completely. I, c- I couldn't quite believe, again, I had too much time in my hands, so I watched every single one of the speeches. Um, oh my God. I wasn't working at the time. Um, in my dressing gown. Uh, sweating for the Someone future. give you just a movie role just to rescue me. Just you. to rescue me, I know. No. They, no. they need to. Um, and uh, yeah, and I just remember watching each speech, and just each speech of the major Labour, Labour Party players was completely contradictory. Um, to the previous one. And I, just, I, I didn't understand what was going on. And um, I got very angry, uh, and I'm still angry. But, I, um, yeah, who knows, is, is the answer to that. I think, I mean, some of the things that Corbyn says still to this day, in fact, a lot of the people involved in all of this, some of the things that they say, it's like, I don't think you actually understand what Brexit is. And I know more than you do, and I'm an actor. And so it is literally your job, and you don't know, and I know more than you do. Um, so that's terrifying. Also, feel, I feel great about myself, but also <laughs> I'm not running the country. But, but um, so yeah, some of the things that he says, I'm like, I don't think you're, you're, you're aware of the finer details. Again, someone like Kistama, who's a lawyer maybe let's leave it to that him.
1: Well, um, I did a thing for the, the Guardian the other week where they do a conversations issue at the end of the year and the, the journalist basically just has to sit in and make sure he doesn't go off the rails or get stuck on one subject. And it was Stephen Mangan and Emily Thornberry. And Stephen Mangan was actually very good, like a really tough interviewer on the Brexit position. And Emily Thornbury did say at one point, we're just going ha- to be honest with people. And future tense. And I thought, that's, that's really interesting because nobody's really sort of done that. And, and when I was watching sort of Barry Gardner spiel, he, he, there was this sort of complete lack of just going, do you know what? We're going to have to take a hit on this. It was literally like you can have every, anything you want. Just like one of those kind of like department store Santas that, that just kind of just goes for it. Do you want, you want a car? Yeah, Santa will bring you a car. And then just leaves like the parents to sort it out. <laughs> Um, and I thought, you know, you, you do need there to be a point at which you go, like, this is going to be the cost. And we've never really had that conversation with, with any politicians. Like, this, is, this bit is going to hurt, but then there's this bit. And, Ros, the other part of this scenario I'd like to, to ask about is, um, if there was this sort of minority government with support from the SNP, would, would, an, would another independence referendum be, be inevitable? Because we like referendums. Haven't though. we had a <laughs> <enough> spicy
2: referendum? <laughs> um, well, of course, a Corbyn government could take the wind out of uh, the SNP's sails if it proved to be very, very popular in North the border, uh, or it might not. It might prove to be very, very unpopular in North the border. Um, I think, um, yeah, tough one. Um, I think actually the SNP is so well established in um, Scotland now that I think, you know, ten years ago I wouldn't have been so sure, but I think now Nicola Sturgeon looks like a powerful leader. She certainly looks a lot more um, capable than anybody in Westminster politics. And I think she could well press and demand a, um, a, an independence referendum. And my sense as well. Is that Scotland is moving gradually away from the rest of the rest of the UK, and it's getting it's kind of preparing. It's been a long journey, but it's, it's just it's ready now to do its own thing. That is my sense, and I'm not personally sentimental about the union in the way that uh, our precious union um, uh, in in the way that some people are. Um, and I think that if it want, if Scotland wants to go its own way, then after after watching the shit show in in Westminster? Who can blame them? Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Rod. (laughs) Scenario two, May fights a general election in January, which produces another hung parliament and more stalemate. May can't even get approval for a revised version of the deal, where we could leave the backstop unilaterally, and have limited single market and customs union access. So we're closer to no deal. Now, are there any circumstances where May could be kind of strong-armed into a people's
0: vote to prevent no deal if that was the only other option Yes, I'm glad you asked me this question because now I can talk about the most spectacular constitutional geekery <laughs> <laughs> this, this might take some time Okay, hold on. So today something interesting happened because a lot of the background parliamentary battle that goes on day to day is about kind of cre- trying to create sort of no-deal firewall, trying to create basically like a backstop almost, like a, like a last point that you can go to where MPs can step in and stop no deal. Now, that's what the Grieve Amendment was last week, and that's why last week I thought, uh, you know, he's played an absolute blinder there. Because by doing it to the... You probably don't need to do this, but once I'm in the nerdy world, I might as well just dig in deep. But, I mean, by doing it to the business motion, it was attached to any debate, any sort of amendment that was coming out of... I beg your pardon, any motion that was coming out of Section 13 of the Withdrawal Act. And that just meant any part of the debate on her trying to leave got amendments attached to it. It was like this super version of, of um, Hillary Benn's amendment. It's really, really clever stuff. He's a smart one, that grief. However, today it all went a bit tits-up. Um, never talk like I do. I'm so sorry. You have... Insecure, very badly paid employment in journalism. And it's a like, terrible idea. And, It started to go wrong. And I think the reason for that was this weird constitutional theory that popped up. Um, And it popped up this morning, and then by the afternoon, uh, lawyers for the House of Commons were saying that it was true. And it was to say that there's actually a kind of a wrinkle in the way that things are framed. That there's two sort of time ticking time bombs that you have to look at. The first one is, if she gets a deal, and it's voted down by the Commons, there's 21 days, and then a minister has to come up and go... There's no deal, and I'm putting the statement here. And then there would be amendments according to Grieve. The other one, the other part of that, the other ticking time bomb was, what if she didn't get a deal in Europe? And after that, you had until the 21st of January for a minister to come to the House of Commons to go, look, there's no deal, and then you'd have the Grieve amendments. However, neither of those things have currently happened. She has got a deal with the Europeans, but there is currently no vote that's going to the House of Commons. She's refusing to say when it would even be. And some lawyers think that that means that there is now no reason that any minister has to come to make any statements to the House of Commons. And therefore, there is nothing to amend. And therefore, there's no obvious parliamentary mechanism to stop them doing no deal before March. Now, I don't think that's true. There must be another way of doing it. I also need to point out that this sort of hovered around the Commons chamber today, and May didn't seem to believe it was true or had not understood what it was she was being asked or had not been properly briefed on it. Or she's got separate legal advice. You know, that would be the good part. So at the moment, it's not clear what the mechanism is. Last week, we knew what people's vote can do to make sure that we can stop this. This week, it's not entirely clear. And that's one of the reasons that today really properly shitted me up, the stuff that was going through in in the Commons today. I think we're in a much worse position today than we were this time last week. Oh, sorry, well, by Tuesday last week. We as in Remainers or we as in the We Remainers and also the British public. You can pick pick one of those. (laughs) <laughs> and, Europe. <laughs> and Europe everyone's and equally fucked it's yeah. just you know only some people recognize it um,
1: Ros do you think that the Tories would let May fight another election I mean, obviously nothing will remove her it seems nothing will remove her she will just stay and stay <laughs> and stay um, but I mean could you, could you see her fighting another election or if one was forced she would just have to go
2: no, she can't fight another election um, because she, um, you know, lost a majority pretty in the last one. Um, and I don't think anything has changed in the public's attitude towards May uh, since then, except to accept the perception that she's probably the least bad of a bad bunch. And um, that doesn't help when you're fighting against an opposition. So, uh, I think someone—I think someone else would have to take over. I suspect it would be Amber Brad, Actually, um, she's my hot tip currently. Uh, uh, partly because she's a woman, and you know, why not pour the shit on women to deal, you know, deal with? Um, get them to sort out messes you can't when, you, um, when the blokes screw it up. Sorry, I don't get yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But um, I, I think she also wants to do it for some reason. Why? I don't know. But she does. She looks hungry. Um, and uh, I don't think there's anybody else in the Conservative Party who is capable, uh, I don't think necessarily Rudd is capable of uniting them, but I don't think um, there's anybody else whom they could all get behind um, even to a limited extent
1: um, And Ingrid, if, if this were to result in a, in, a, in a hung parliament do you think that, that Corbyn could survive another defeat slash victory <laughs> like, <laughs> like the last one as someone pointed out, it's the only election where the winner seem to lose and the loser seemed to win. But, but if that... Because they're really pushing for an election... Labour are really pushing for an election. I mean, I suppose in the way, obviously, Remainers are pushing for a people's vote, not complacently, but obviously with the intention of, of winning it. So I don't know how... But, but Labour, when they're pushing for an election, they seem to really think that they can win it, or that they will win it. I don't hear, I don't hear a lot of sort of doubts on that side. Do you think it would be... Uh, I mean, how certain do you think it would be? Because the, the, the polls are not reflecting the actual kind of nightmare on Downing Street situation. Um,
3: well, I mean, it's funny, is it? Jeremy Corbyn and... Jeremy Corbyn is holding on, and he is going to keep holding on until there's some natural disaster, apparently. Um, and Theresa May, both of them, bless them, they're like... Fucking <laughs> holding on. Um, they're like, I don't know, two old nemeses in a Rocky film or something one of the the bad ones like Rocky 3
0: 3 is not bad
3: oh no (laughs) I knew as I said that I was like he's going to pipe up Um, right 5 then that's Um, fair fair
0: fair.
3: (laughs) but you know what I I have no idea I have no idea because I can't see beyond tomorrow there are so many permutations my head is hurting now just listening to, every, listening to everything that's going on, so I have no idea how you're feeling. Um, but it's just... Yeah. I, I, like I say, I, don't, I just... I don't know. And it's okay to say that sometimes, I think. I think the last thing everyone needs is more people going, pretending that they know stuff and they don't. I don't, I don't know.
1: I, I would like almost... This is almost objectively... I mean, I w- I'm generally a Labour supporter, but I, I would just sort of like to see what a Labour, gov- a Labour government... See what they would do. Because all the the, the Tory party seems. Do you remember in the 90s uh, how exhausted late, the Tories were yeah. for years before 97? To the point where actually you kind of photoshopped Tony Blair in earlier. It was like the height of Britpop, Tony Blair, and it's like no, he 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 didn't come until OK Computer came out. And Britpop was kind of you know over, <laughs> you know. But it just seemed as if John Major had left about three years before he'd actually left, and this government seems more exhausted and done and incapable of achieving anything mm. than that one did and so there's just there's a part of me that's almost like even if I wasn't a Labour supporter I'd be just like let someone else have a go have a I, go maybe that's, that doesn't always work out let someone else have a go in political history <laughs> doesn't always work <laughs> just I, go this guy's got a lot of pep <laughs> let him have a go but, you know, there just comes a point where you're just like, well, I cannot see anything coming out of this government now. I,
3: I think what, what, what angers me about Jeremy Corbyn is, is the, just the trenchant, just, just on, on both sides, the sort of lack of any kind of um, facility to sort of listen, it seems. It, it is that that is their way or no way. And while I have sympathy for... What really annoyed me about, about the Brexit debate last night was, was, was when uh, Barry Gardner sort of, sort, of, almost, sort of lightly attacked Caroline Lucas and trying to paint Remainers as, 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 as people who were sort of dismissing uh, the working class and, and we're saying they're stupid and they were dupes and that, we, and that actually we don't understand that they were voting against austerity and they were voting against... Well, he then conflated two things. He was saying, well, you know, he, they, they're voting against... The, because the EU have made them poorer. It's like, no, you mean the Tories. You mean that's what you mean. It's not that the EU have made them poorer. And what annoyed him was that he, as though Remainers don't... Know that, like we know, we're, we're trying to stop Brexit because we don't want those people to suffer. It's not like we're going, "Huh, you idiots, you, you were duped." I'm very much on the side of those people, and I would love a Labour government. I want, I want, I'm, I'm left leaning, as are Miss actors and most people on this panel, but I. I would love for there to be a decent opposition, and it, it gives me no pleasure whatsoever to be to be to feel the way I'm feeling about Labour and Jeremy Corbyn. And I, I voted, and, I, and I've said this before, but I voted. I, I felt I had to vote Lib Dem in the last election, which was now I feel it feels like a massive waste of time, because I was so angry that nobody in, in Labour was offering, the well, Labour weren't offering um, um, a, any way out of Brexit. So I am just, I'm just really angry and disappointed in Jeremy Corbyn, frankly. Sad face,
2: sad face. Can I just, can I just uh, add briefly okay. to that? There's so much talent in the Labour Party. There's a lot of talent there. There are really good people. You know, Hilary Benn, I think, is great. Keir Starmer has his uh, great strengths. Yvette, yeah. Yvette Cooper. Oh, Yvette, Yvette Cooper. Cooper yeah. I, I, we love Yvette Cooper. And the younger generation, Stella Creasy and so on. And, and, and all this is just kind of crushed under Corbyn and is not being heard because of that. And that is immensely frustrating for me because, frankly... With any of those people in charge, Labour I think would be twenty points ahead in the
1: polls now. I can yeah. I I think of this every time I see Richard Bergen. And I just think how is it possible that name your Labour backbencher that you like is not on the front bench and Richard Bergen is? It's just every time I see him I'm just like, Man, anyone could be an MP. Anyone can be a Shadow Minister. Literally anyone. Anyway. Um, (laughs) Bergen. Our third scenario is that MPs take back control, good slogan, and Parliament moves for a people's vote. (laughs) Anyone here like a people's vote? (laughs) Um, Could that happen? Are there enough people's vote backers on the backbench yet to force it? Because there are more coming all the time. And do you think that as we go further down the road to hell... That more, more people will kind of peel off uh,
0: and go for it. Are we there yet? Do you think we would be there? I think we can get there. Um, and I think if you look at... So remember where we were in September when we had the Labour party conference and you know John McDonnell, after they had this sort of ramshackle moment, all the local parties had tried to force them into adopting a sort of people's very position. They had that late night meeting, they came out... With their sort of sequenced set of, like, you know, we were trying to negotiate if we couldn't do that, we'd run a general election, if we couldn't do that, then we'd have a second referendum. And then John McDonnell came out the next day and was like, uh, but wouldn't have Remain on the ballot. And you're like, wow, you absolute spectacular twat. Like, <laughs> but then Keir Starmer goes up and does a speech and goes, remains on the ballot, and there was a response in the hall. And actually, politics often turns on those moments. And if you look from the point that that happened, Actually, McDonald's been very firm the last few weeks. I think Jeremy Corbyn's been much firmer than he's been up until now on, sort of on, on just how, what that sequencing would look like and what would be entailed. Now, a, a general election is not a solution to anything because it's just you know, basically like one side which is just <coughs> profoundly evasive on anything that it says on the subject and the other side that just doesn't have a policy on it at all. So there's no way that you can find out what you want to do with Brexit by asking Jeremy Corbyn to go up against Theresa May. It doesn't accomplish anything. However... You understand why people are thinking that way, because ultimately what you have is deadlock in Parliament. And the solution has to be, how do you undo the deadlock? And you either do that by changing the ratio of MPs, or you do it by taking it out to the public at large. And so in that sequence, it sort of works, and you can sort of imagine a scenario in which Labour would say, OK, fine, we're backing it now. It's not impossible to imagine in a way that it really was very hard to imagine a few months ago. And then, so then the question is, you know, how many... Because they've got all the other opposition parties there, apart from the DUP. Um, and then how many Tory MPs are there that would back it? And I think when you look at the sort of strength of the rebellions, it's slightly different, it's not exactly one for one, but you look at the strength of the rebellions last week in the Commons, and I, I think you've got the numbers for that. I think when you start looking at people like Joe Johnson, uh, really fundamentally changed something by coming out, because he, he kept his powder dry, you know, all of that... I think you know that changes things it is doable the numbers are potentially there but Labour needs to get on board and it has to happen in time and by the time that we're talking about stuff happening in late January where's the fucking time Mm -hmm. like it's now it has to happen now time is of the essence I don't know if anyone's noticed that that's a key factor in this debate and it really is quite important and at the moment they are finding ways of pushing it away and pushing it away and the longer it gets pushed the further into the future the less viable um, any kind of second referendum becomes yeah Um, Roz, here's a tough one for you.
1: Um, Should, um, and I suppose I'm talking democratically as opposed to kind of what Remainers would like, should No Deal be on the ballot? Should it be May's deal, Remain, No Deal? Would it be legitimate to do it without No Deal, kamikaze, Brian Harvey running himself with his own car (laughs) option?
2: There are risks with no deal, but I think you have to have it on the ballot. Um, I am aware that's controversial. The reason why I think it benefits Remainers is that it splits the Leave vote, and there will be people who cannot bring themselves to vote for even May's deal, um, and um, it will effectively split those people off, and hopefully that will benefit Remain. Less cynically, less cynically, um, I think you have to get people to understand what no deal means. And we can, uh, because at the moment, it's a fact that a lot of people think no deal means status quo. Um, they think it's deal or no deal in the Noel Obman sense, which I keep going on about, really, but they do. Um, they think no deal means status quo, and of course we know it doesn't, but we know it doesn't, but they know it, don't know it doesn't. And, and um, only in the course of, um, I think, and People's Vote campaign would that finally get across to people and it would finally be, it would become apparent what it meant. So those are the reasons why I think Given the way that I would I think even six months ago I wouldn't have said that, or twelve months ago. But the way we've been relentlessly pushed towards a hard Brexit and the hardest of Brexits means I think that no deal has to be on the on the ballot paper. So three options. Can we add um, to it though
0: that um, you need to have <laughs> I'm waiting now, you have to applause. So um, so I I think that you need to separate out no deal, no deal, like you know, like no withdrawal agreement from no trade deal. Because if we say no withdrawal agreement, then we, you know, EU citizens' rights would be included in that, and we can't, we can't have that. You know? oh, and similarly, less importantly, we, we can't have anything on... like. You, it would be weird to say to a government, you can't sign an aviation treaty with the EU. That's just, I don't think that's what people mean. I mean, it has to be, we're not going to do a trade deal before the date of you know, April 1st or whatever. And then that bit would go ahead, and, and there it's there. I agree, it's hard. I've, I've held both positions with alarming frequency on the no-deal ballot thing. Yours
2: is really the more hard. responsible.
1: Um, and Ingrid there's, there's much, a lot of talk obviously about you may have heard the phrase the will of the people um, and is, somebody, is it 900 days that it's been since the referendum now or approximately 900 days and as a as a guest on the show this week um, delicately referred to what we might call demographic churn or cohort shift <laughs> or whatever you know people people are dying moving <laughs> yeah, on yeah. <laughs> to another place. Um, that, that actually, of course, there is a kind of the, the whole question of the mandate. On the one hand, you've got this kind of the demographics keep eating away at that mandate. And on the other hand, and I know that this is something that Brexiters and, on the left and right um, often say is you just go, oh, you, it's very patronizing to say that people didn't know what they voted for. But it seems to me an, it, it's an actual fact. Because if anyone said, if anyone's just I voted for this literally what's going on right now (laughs) this absolute screaming nightmare i said i turned to my wife in the polling booth and i just went i think that i'm voting for a contempt motion (laughs) i'm voting for just paralysis uh you know all of that bring it on but nobody knew, I didn't know when I was voting, I didn't know what I was voting against in that sort of detail, do you know what I mean? I knew, I knew that I didn't want to leave the EU, but, but nobody, it's, a, it's a nonsense to say that people knew what they were voting for, when already there's I mean, it's just endless sort of permutations and, and unforeseen um, events. So Sorry. No, 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 of course it is. I, think no, I, I thought there was a question. There was. Right. There was. I was just waiting for it. And I lost it. it. So my point yes. being, at what point? <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's here somewhere?
1: No, <laughs> no, no, don't worry. Um, I'll jump in with something. No, oh, no at yes. some point, like, the whole idea of a mandate and the yes. will of the people, yes. when you're getting close to, you know, when you're two and a half years past that, for yeah. all of these, and, 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 you know, where there was a binary um, choice... How much does that mean? Do you believe that there is a mandate, and do you believe that you believe that at some point it has to expire? Um, well, this is a, yes, uh, yes. <laughs> really, after all that so, struggle to ask
3: that yes. question, <laughs> <you switch. laughs> yes. Thank you. Um, no, it, it, it is interesting because because I, 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 I when people say oh people have died you know so, you know people have died and moved on so actually now it would look different. I I'm I slightly aware of that argument. Um, because that's just the nature of, that's just the nature of life. Uh, people die and people stay. And so, uh, you know, I'm slightly wary of that argument. But what I, what I like is, is um, what Caroline Lucas, I think, described it as, um, as the mandate. As in this, this, if we had another referendum, it would be the first vote on what the actual deal will look like. So that, to me, makes the most sense. That's yeah. not saying you're all dupes, people have died, uh, we're all different human beings now, uh, our cells have been replaced, uh, and we're... Like, seven years, not two and a half years. <laughs> like Trigger's Broom. Yeah. It? yeah. Um, so, you know, it's like, this is the first look on the deal. Yeah. Uh, so that is, for me, what what the referendum should be about. Um, it, yeah, and, and the whole thing of the will of the people... It's so interesting. It, Brexiteers, I, think, I feel like they've all been herded into a room and had like Paul McKenna uh, go right what you need to keep saying is what are the people what are the people and then because there's not much else behind it I do I do understand their argument that you know we haven't actually implemented Brexit so we can't therefore say it hasn't worked but they know that it's a very they're standing on a on a on shifting sands and a very what's it called house of cards it's all going to come tumbling down
1: well there is a thing if they were so certain certain then they would just go yeah another referendum Exactly, endless good. referendums yeah. will win them all. But they're not
3: saying that. Do you, yeah. And do you, I know what, I, that argument, what I hate, and I hear people, friends say it, we're like, well, what's the name? Best of three. <laughs> it's like, no, not fucking best of three. Best of one. Best of... If we now know what we're voting... If we now know what we're voting for, uh, then yeah. that's it. And then if we still vote to leave, fine. Like, I'm genuinely... I mean that. I'm not just trying to trick people into remaining, as much as I want that to happen. I, d- I genuinely mean, if we have another vote, I will respect the results of that referendum once we know exactly what we're dealing with. Quite. Round of applause. No and fun. we'll win. Whatever. <laughs> all
1: right. Forget it. Forget it. Forget it. Don't worry. Victory. <laughs> um, finally... It is... Oh, it's my turn for a present. Yes, of it is, yeah. you, and and Ros, Ros is going to ask me the the searching question. It's for you.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's a first aid kit. <laughs> first aid kit. Very useful. What's inside it? Um, first, plasters alcohol oh, well, pad, that's okay. alcohol pad oh, oh really I'm, a pad of alcohol okay. it's always disappointing when you've asked for alcohol and you get alcohol pads <laughs> 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 um, so I have to ask how, how, can, how can we heal yeah, the wounds? yeah,
2: exactly, how can we ever come together? how
1: can we, move forward? you know,
2: because we're all friends in this room, but how can we come together as a country?
1: Um, well, as Ian said earlier um, there is like a gaping wound did you, you probably didn't use the word gaping? Um, I wish I had yeah. <laughs> A sort of gaping wound in in Britain, and I think there was a good uh, John Harris piece in The Guardian today saying that a lot of this stuff was there before, but David Cameron had the clever idea of going, why don't we bring in all the poison to the surface so then we can see it <laughs> um, And I feel like there's a, there's a huge job to be done in terms of. I mean, I think it's far too early to talk about bringing the country together. You know, when that's another thing I've heard from Labour, a deal that will bring the country together. It doesn't exist. The country doesn't really want to come together. And I think there are some things that... And I don't even know the country was together in the first place. Like, a lot of the people who voted leave were people that... I wasn't, they weren't... Um, they were the reasons I moved away from where I grew up. It's sort of... <laughs> that's not a class thing at all. It's like a kind of... as A lot of this is, is, is largely sort of, you know, regional and cultural values-based. And I feel like there are certain issues which are impossible to reconcile in terms of if you're talking about immigration. And I know that some people say, well, if you know, Remainers should be much tougher on immigration to win over Leavers. And then it's like, I think, well, what's the point of being a Remainer? It just seems to sort of uh, ruin the point if you're betraying one of your primary values. But I think the the, the easy, well, the, I suppose the easy choice to make is the damage done by austerity, the neglect of regions... Uh, a sense of kind of you know hopelessness and lashing out. And these are things that any government should want to fix, not just because it has unfortunate uh, you know, consequences on, on one particular issue, but of course it's, it's terrible for the country, it's terrible for their individual lives, it's terrible for the way the country feels about itself, it has all kinds of unforeseen consequences. And when you look back, and, and I suppose the fact that I feel the Conservatives have given seem to have given that no thought. And you could say that previous Labour governments did not give some of these issues enough thought. Um, but we would, you would have to, if we had a people's vote and remain one, you know, I I'd, I'd kind of want a Labour government then, because I don't see a Tory government being able to kind of reach out and go, sorry about austerity, guys. That was, that was terrible. Um, you know, let, let's give you a helping hand. I think you would need, you would need a kind of major rethink to stop those you know to stop these areas feeling as neglected because when i've gone on holiday to various places around england or on work trips um since the referendum there's things i look at and i go this is this is quite brexit and i'm not saying that in a kind of snow i mean sometimes I'm saying it in a sneery way for certain certain kinds of pub very kind of gammy pubs and i go this is very brexit but then there's other places where you go and there's kind of like there's one row of really nice shops and the chain shops and a good weather spoons, and then you go a, a couple of streets back from the seafront or whatever, and you see all these kind of closed shops, and there's a real sense that n- that nobody really cares. And I think that was such a huge driver, and I think that's of, of the referendum result. And that's one thing where I, you know, I do agree with, with the messages coming um, from Corbyn, where, you know, obviously I wish he didn't just concentrate on this aspect, but when he does say, well, like, think about why this happened, and a lot of it happened with people sort of lashing out, um, and just just to try and think about how you could... Im- I know it sounds crazy, but try and think about how you could improve people's lives and stop them feeling hopeless um, would, would, would be a good step forward, and to try and use it as a kind of opportunity for sort of national renewal. And I don't think, to be honest, that most Remainers just want to go back to early you know, june the 1st 2016 and go that was fine because because it clearly wasn't there we go <laughs> and so we reached the end of the last romaniacs live of 2018 thanks to ros ingrid and ian for joining me tonight Thanks also to Naomi Smith, Alex Andreu, Nina Schick, all our producers, and our shadowy paymaster, Andrew Harrison, for making the show so enjoyable to do all year. We want to thank everyone who listens to the podcast, everyone who came to the show, especially our Patreon backers, whose generosity enables us to keep going and cover costs. And I think... uh, Does anyone want to offer a word of hope? for next, for next year. That's not really I, part of my personal plan. No, branding. that's not you. That's not right, you. Yeah, i yeah. is just No, I, I do think perhaps if there, if there is a people's vote, I think, I think that would be emotionally such a valuable thing because there would be somewhere for us to put all of this energy. Without one, I don't know where it will go.
0: No, no, I agree. But I also think that... Okay, so that regardless of what happens at this stage, whether it's sort of best-case scenario of people's vote, whether it's the sort of sort of comatose scenario of a May deal or or protracted negotiations that keep us in basically sort of a suboptimal position or whether it's the disaster of no deal, the thing that is positive that comes out of it is that actually for the last two and a half years, people have had a sense of identity around believing in an open society and believing in, in, in liberal values, liberal with a small L, but of thinking, no, I want people to be free. I want people to be free to come here. I want people to think that they can be a citizen of a country and also a citizen of a world. And I want them to think that they are capable of thinking about politics in a complex, autonomous, individual way. A way that isn't just bullied by people going, well, you've got to sign up to the will of the people. You've got to sign up to my very simple solution. And that is, there is a sense of self-awareness to people who think like me, who I don't think we always had. I think... We were just on the sort of winning side and everyone, you know, whether it was Cameron or Osborne or whether it was... But they all said, oh, we're we're pro, you know, open, you know, societies and we think it's good, there's diversity. And that sort of killed any sense of identity that we had. Now, we're in opposition. We are basically the barbarians at the gate. And that gives you a sense of identity and a sense of group and a sense of movement and a sense that you need to be fighting for these things. Because when you don't fight for them, people who are more marginalized than you, who are worse off than you, are the ones that suffer, who become the victims of it. And that goes regardless of the scenario. People's vote, no deal, anything in between. You have to fight for your values.
1: Hmm.
0: And that's what we're going to do in 2019.
1: Well, thank you. We, we do have, because there's nobody on after us, because they just said, we can't follow that. Um, so we do have uh, a little time for questions. Um, is there somebody in the audience with a microphone? I don't mean, has someone brought one with them? I mean, is, is, our, is our producer Andrew there? There we go. Shadowy paymaster.
0: <laughs> do we have any questions? And... I love the way Andrew's walking around with a beer and a mic. <laughs> <laughs> Classic.
1: <laughs> like if it's not fun, it? it's not my <laughs> revolution, man. Uh, well, here you go.
3: Hi, um, can I try and inject some positive spin slash conspiracy theory? Um, so, <laughs> the, it was really noticeable that when Yvette Cooper asked uh, Theresa May at the select committee hearing whether she was the kind of person that would take us into a no deal, Theresa May ducked the question. And then... Over the weekend, there was, you know, lots of briefing out both ways of whether the deal, uh, the vote was going to be delayed. And it was only after the ECJ judgment came out this morning that actually, finally, this afternoon, Theresa May came out and said, "No." So, just one: Do you think Theresa May is actually prepared to take us into a No Deal, and is she really playing sort of legislative chicken for real? She'll actually do it. And two: Do you think she waited until she knew she had that kind of parachute cord that she could pull in all, you know, if all else fails, if the the hardcore Brexiteers would really take us to that cliff edge? Before she actually made the decision to defer the vote?
0: I don't know. Um, it, it's sort of like, it's, it's just this, it's sort of, it's so hard to figure out what the fuck it is that she thinks, because she is so evasive and so secretive. I mean, you're, you're quite right in your assessment of, of, of what, you know, the exchange between her and Yvette Cooper, but then she refused to answer any question during that exchange. So you sort of think, well, you know, this one or that, one. it doesn't make any difference because she never answers anything. What I, and my instinct is to say, no, Theresa May is still enough of a sort of grown-up that she wouldn't inflict no deal and she wouldn't force it through against parliamentary opposition. However, she wasn't going to give Parliament any say even on triggering Article 50. She tried to make sure that it had no say on her deal. She tried at length and only gave up last week when being humiliatingly defeated to stop it having amendments on her statement that it was no deal. Now, it could be... That that is just in order to placate the ERG uh, and blah, blah, or it could be that she's a fucking maniac. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, um,
1: Angie, hold hold tight.
2: What I have been trying to grapple with is how really to convince people who haven't seen the light and who have the religion of Brexit to see rationally and change to the other side. So the fear I have, for example, of putting um, no deal on the ballot, if there should be one, is that it doesn't matter if it's on or off. If people have the religion... They don't seem to want to listen and they don't want to change their mind. What advice could you give to somebody who tweets every morning for an hour to try <laughs> to convince people
3: um, that there might be hope at the end of the, the line? Um, I, well, I, my immediate instinct would be to say, don't waste your time. Uh, not, not with people who, sadly, sadly, with people who very much think differently. In that way, you can't. And that's... I think we forget. I mean, it's easy for, on both sides. Sometimes you look at people and you go, I do not understand how you can have that position. I do not understand how you can think you would rather crash out with a no deal and make yourself poorer and, and, and have chaos ensue than remain. But pe- people do. And so you will never... You will ne- they, that's just a different, a different personality type. You're never going to get through to them. Um, but the people that we're trying to target, I think, are the people who are soft softer levers um and with those people there was very interesting uh, asking actually in the i think it was the new statesman about about the things we must now as remainers do uh to try and persuade people or to try and bring people on board and, and bring them over to our side and things that do not help are things like saying you were tricked um as much as you want to use that as an argument you you have to sort of it's like a relationship. Uh, as a woman, I find, uh, if I want my boyfriend to do something, I, I sort of, I drop a few hints, I listen to his point of view, then sort of leave it there, and hope that sense will prevail, and he'll think it was his idea. And he will change his mind. Um, what doesn't help- Dude, he's is, in the audience. I know, he's <laughs> in the By the way, I've never done that with you, <laughs> baby. I'm in so much trouble. (laughs) Um, No, but I, you know, it's that thing of gentle persuasion with with a velvet glove uh, rather than a iron fist. But there there are articles you should should, should, we should all Google. We should all actually in this room, everyone in this room. I think it is our duty and incumbent on us to to work out from this point on. We have to sort of leave the anger a little bit. I mean, the anger is good because it fuels you, but we have to work out what we do now. Um, is it new, was it the new statesman? Does well, so it was a like a seven point. Yeah, seven points, seven points. Look it up. Everyone should look it up in this room, and and t- take these things on board. And I'm trying to tweet slightly differently because of that as well.
1: But there's quite a tough thing because I think that there's 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 kind sort of two kinds of behaviour that are very valuable, but they're almost sort of they're valuable in such different contexts. So uh, the advice that I think best for Britain when they're training people as well, say if you're going out to talk to Leave voters, you know, no, no EU flags, um, no podcast called Romaniacs <laughs> um, you know similarly like the, the FBPE hashtag which has brought a lot of people together um, is, is incredibly alienating to people who are you know in, not in that group um, and so it's really hard because a lot of the things that you do where you feel most passionate and they're a great source of solidarity and strength um, when it comes to the people's vote which is fine now really but when it comes to the campaign it's sort of I don't know. I'm probably not going to change the name of the podcast, <laughs> but I think you, you must have to shift into another mode when you're talking to these soft levers, because you know so their hackles don't go up. And I think that I think that's going to be quite hard. And I've noticed some people on Twitter talking about whether to drop the FPP hashtag because they think that it is, if there's a people's vote, it could be counterproductive. And I think that we we would have to have those conversations. Any more questions? I'm on the wrong side of the room. Uh, Hang on. Just determining this in in terms of geography rather than if it's a good question. Hang on. Here you
2: go.
3: You're the lucky winner. (laughs)
0: Um, Given
2: what May did today, I found so terrifying. Do you think people like um, Dominic Grieve should actually be handing in letters to the 1922 committee? I mean, seriously, I'm not being flippant.
0: No, because there's no time... Um, I'm really wary of replacing her, just because I don't see where the time is. If, if, if the problem is fundamentally a time problem, and the solution involves a 12-week Tory leadership contest, which goes out to the membership and wouldn't necessarily involve someone more brexit coming back, then I would like to explore other avenues. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I'm not in a happy way, because she, I feel like she's boxed herself in on the second referendum as well, so I'm Obviously, you know, it goes without saying she is suboptimal as a prime minister (laughs) in any possible spectrum of what that might entail. But I just don't see that right now, replacing her gets us to a better place. I don't see that. I think we've got time for two more. I've run to the wrong side of the room. The questions are all over there. Oh, you can have one. You're yeah. Hi, so um, practically people like us in the room here, um, what can we actually do, Uh, a grassroots campaign uh, going forward, changing people's minds or pushing towards a people's vote, especially people like me, um, I don't have a UK passport so I can't vote, taxation without representation, I can of course um, give vast... (laughs) Amounts of cash to Romaniacs, uh, which, which I do. Well, not the fast amounts That's of not cash, a tax, but by the way, <laughs> just so we, we're clear. <laughs> but what kind of practical things can we can pe- normal people on the street do to, to get out of this mess?
2: Yes. Um, I think get out there and campaign. Um, get out there and get make your voice heard. Uh, it's... There are people nowadays, now I see increasingly at weekends hanging around Archway Tube, <laughs> trying to change my mind about Brexit, but in a good way. Um, and um, Archway Tube may not be the best place to hang, uh, hang about, really. But I think it's important to have conversations and keep talking to leavers. And this is picking up on, on your, point, your point as well. You have to give some people something else, because right now there's nothing for these people but Brexit, and nobody is offering them anything else. And there is no kind of there's, there's no promise of more, and, and more help, the problems they face. We have to look forward. we have to make a positive case for what can be achieved without Brexit. And we have to, be, to say, we can move on. We don't have to do this thing. This isn't a matter of pride, and, you know, if we, t- if we decide to, che- if we decide to uh, uh, st- stop Article 50 now, that's fine. It's not a big deal. It's okay. It's not a matter of national pride. It just means we can concentrate on the stuff that is really urgent in this country, and it's really important, and we really need to fix. And God knows there are so many of those things that we really need to fix in this country. And... To so move the conversation on to something other than actually Brexit, I think is the key thing to do and to say, yeah, now, we want this out of the way so we can focus on the important stuff.
1: I think there's also, there are some really good, um, there's groups obviously like like Best for Britain, but um, the European movement, when I did a sort of an article at the beginning of the year and I was talking to a lot of the activists, and they were very well informed um, about what works or what they thought worked and what doesn't, and they're very... You know, there's a lot of grassroots energy, which is why I really hate it when people present the, the Remain People's Vote movement as sort of top-down, and they think it's all just sort of Alastair Campbell and Peter Mandelson doing a kind of New Labour reunion tour. <laughs> and and actually, a lot of it has come from the grassroots. Um, that That's how this... Mostly how this, this kind of movement ended up forming. Um, and a lot of them have actually been doing... Been thinking about this since... Well, since the first... The last referendum campaign. Um, so... So definitely, kind of look up those groups. You know, Britain in Europe, Best for Britain, European Movement. Um, there's, 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 there's many. There are many, um, and and a lot of them have already thought very hard about some of this sort of subtle persuasion stuff that that might not necessarily be obvious.
0: I think Best for Britain have a, uh, if I remember correctly, uh, to contact Naomi Smith on Twitter if you don't see it. Otherwise, well, you just sign up there. But I think that they have a sort of they've got seats of MPs who are particularly susceptible to the message where they, you put in the work there to try to convince the constituents who be sending off stuff to the MPs and they have a system for that. None of it interests me because I just basically want to sit at home in my Batman underpants and <laughs> blog. That's the entirety of what gives me joy in this world. But nevertheless, for other people, they actually want to accomplish stuff with their lives and, and that may be the way to, to do it. So do
1: Would we have time for one more? We've got time for one more. Make it a good one. How much is Soros paying you? Hang on, right. This man is wearing a Christmas jumper that says, all I want for Christmas is EU,
0: so he is stealing our intellectual property. Here you go. So it's actually a really negative question to finish on, but um, <laughs> um, Ingrid kind of touched on this earlier. i like, have been talking about kind of all the energy and we put that into a people's vote potentially, but what if? What happens if and what do you, what do you think if we actually lost or you know, the Remain lost the people's vote, actually ultimately leave one again? Um, what, what, where, where does the energy go it then? Like it, that's kind of the end game, right? Like what what happens then?
3: Well, then remainers put all their energy into getting a good Brexit deal because that's what we should have been doing all along. Because then we would have had a good Brexit deal if any we'd put our energies towards getting a good <laughs> Brexit deal. Um, no, I mean I think if, if listen if if there is another referendum, and, and again as you said we are we are talking. I mean we're up against it because even if we even if it was happening in the next few months, we to, that it, that's not. Quite, that's not a huge amount of time to get the message out that we want to get out so people can have an informed vote. Um, but if the results was the same, I, I d- and it could be, um, then we'd have to sort of we'd have to do it. I feel like we'd have to do it. We couldn't go, actually, sorry, when I said that this was definitely the best of five. Vote, <laughs> because then, like, then we would be those guys and that would be really bad. Um, so we'd have to suck it up and, and do it. But I don't think that'll happen. <laughs>
1: I would say that a lot of people after June 2016 did not know what they were going to do next, and it took quite a long time. And now the People's Vote campaign, which they arrived at through thinking through many options and there were disagreements uh, over strategy and messaging and all that, and they arrived at this kind of united front, and people were going, well, this is never going to happen. And they fought and they brought out, you know, hundreds of, of people onto the streets... And they've, they're moving MPs every week. There's other people coming around, and celebrities, and business people. They've achieved far more than people thought they were going to achieve when the movement, when the People's Vote campaign launched. Was that spring, early summer? Um, and far, far more than anybody was expecting in that horrible kind of morning after the referendum. So I think it's very hard to say in advance what people would do. But I think when you see the amount of kind of talent and sort of energy and sort of, I don't know, I've honesty and sort of moral vigour and passion that has come up around this movement. I, you know, I don't know where people would decide that they wanted to take that next. But I do think that you, it wouldn't just fade away. There is no way that that sector of the population would just go, forget it, lads and ladies. Um, no, it just wouldn't. You know, it wouldn't happen. So I know that sounds a bit vague, but I've seen what happened when people kind of picked themselves up from what felt like this horrible defeat and, and have already achieved a great deal, even if we're not there yet. And I think something, something positive for the country could come out of this broad movement and of people who feel this way.
3: A Romaniacs Netflix series.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that, yes. Cool, well, we have to go, I'm afraid. Uh, Thank you so much for coming out, and uh, happy Brexmas, everyone. (laughs) Please give it up.